But, you know, one of the things about formation often in the church, both for seminarians or for, you know, for priests and also for lay people, it's just intellectual. You know, we, we sometimes say, you know, seminary prepares the really smart students to become seminary lecturers. And, but of course, they're being trained to be priests. And when it comes to lay formation, it's often, it's catechesis or, some theological reflection on the kid. It sort of mirrors what's happening in the, in seminaries in terms of intellectual stuff, but it isn't necessarily geared towards action. And so mm-hmm. what I wanted to do with Arete was to be able to say, we, you need to be skilled up. There are ways to evangelize well and there are ways to evangelize badly. And there are, there are leadership skills that you can learn. Yeah. You know, I wanted to demystify leadership a bit as I think there's a charism of leadership, a particular gift, but I think there are also a whole set of skills that you can learn. I wanted people to come out going, I actually feel equipped. I don't have to just feel like I've got some head knowledge, but I've actually got some mm-hmm. really practical skills and tools that I've been experimenting with over the nine months in order to be able to really practically be effective in my parish context or whatever other context I'm, I'm serving in. Welcome to the Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst in the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Hello, welcome back. Many of you will recognize our guest today, Father Chris Ryan from Australia. We had him on talking about RCIA or OCIA, and we had an in-depth conversation that I found so helpful. But today, we're going to talk about a ministry that he founded called Arete. And I think you're going to be really excited to hear what's happening here and how that may apply in your corner of the globe. Father Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Ron. It's really nice to be back with you. You too. I'd love to just maybe you could take a few minutes and just share with people what is Arete and then maybe we can backtrack a bit and what brought you to that place of bringing it to life. Sure. So Arete, the full name of the Arete Center is the Arete Center for Missionary Leadership. And so the purpose of the center is really to form lay leaders in both the evangelizing mission of the church and then not simply for them to be able to just simply do it themselves, but as leaders to raise up other people to do that, particularly in the context of parish renewal. So we really believe that we're called to serve the broader renewal of the church through the very particular thing of forming lay people in leadership, um, especially in parishes, but also in mm-hmm. di- you know, diocesan agencies um, and, and other communities as well. Um, and our, our flagship piece is a, is a nine-month program that we that we run that um, that students come and participate in over over a nine month period. Mm. Okay, I'm going. That's just begging me to ask the question, but then we'll go back. <laughs> but but yeah. what are some of the people experiencing, or what have they experienced after they, they've been shot out the other end of that nine months and this formation and in, in leadership? What are some of the things that you're hearing from them in terms of? the applicability of, of what they've learned and how that's integrates. Yeah. So one, one of the things I, I might, the way I might respond to that is to say that the word arete is a Greek word and uh, it means excellence in the sense of human flourishing. Okay. And so one of the things that I think we hear people say is they, they understand that, um, you know, experience themselves as, as, as really flourishing in their faith in a new way, first and foremost. So, 
Um, we talk about it being a formative experience that people are formed, but it's actually also transformative. So you, you do, we really do hear people say that it's, um, it's deeply changed their relationship with the Lord, they, their relationship with God. And so mm-hmm. that, that love for the Lord and their awareness of his love for them, um, they'd say it's at a whole kind of other level as a result of um, going through the program. But I also think, too, there's a real bias for action in the program. And so people report back and say, look, I feel so much more equipped. You know, um, I, f- I felt braver to apply for a particular role in the church or, or to step out and do something in my parish that I would never have done before. Mm-hmm. But I, but I feel like I've been equipped with the, the practical skills for ministry, but also, um, uh, I feel like I can be a leader and, and whether that's going for a new role, I can think of a, a young woman who, um, Young mum, she was coming back into the work, she'd workforce. She'd been um, doing um, kind of different kinds of admin sort of roles and she came and did a rete and she's now, you know, during the course of the year applied for um, uh, a job in, in a diocese where she's now uh, very involved in a, in a significant women's ministry through the diocese. So she manages and coordinates that. So that's just one example. But you, you hear people who are saying, I'm prepared to, you know, take up the, the running of their RCIA or OCIA team yes. or, they, or they're the alpha or evangelization coordinator in their place. Or maybe they, you know, they're on their leadership team of their parish or a parish mm. council and they say, I've got, I feel so much better equipped to be able to, to take up the, the vision of, of what parish renewal could look like mm. and to get involved in that. That's so helpful. Like I know, boy, I've been probably in this coaching world for about 10 years. And one of the problems that I always say, when you solve one problem, sometimes you create two more. And one of the problems that gets created over and over again is churches begin to hire, but then trying to find people to hire is tricky because, you know, it's not just a body of theological information that you can get on a master's degree, and that's very helpful. But there's a lot of practical skills around leadership that aren't taught at the university level and people's confidence is in there. And so what I'm hearing you say in terms of some of these alumni is that, you know, yeah, they're and let's face it, they're not applying for this course if they already don't have faith and love Jesus in the church. But the very fact that those are the people applying and they're going way deeper in their faith, they're transformed in their faith. Like, how awesome is that? Just saying that your fruitfulness is rooted in your relationship with Christ. And that's so cool. But but then they, getting the skills is growing them in their confidence because so often we have very competent people in the pews. They're running all kinds of things for businesses and sport and not for profits, but in the church, they feel useless. And it's like, but you're not useless. And it sounds like they're, they're coming to that place of being able to step into their baptism with confidence and try new things. So, oh man, that is so desperately needed in diocese and parishes, like people who have that depth of faith and that confidence to try new things because of that faith and skills. Oh, that's so needed. So what got you to the point? So you're, you're an order priest. You're a parish priest leading incredible renewal. What got you to the point where you're just getting bored? Like, what? <laughs> tell, me, <laughs> tell me how you got here. Yeah. So, um, no, I wouldn't say I was bored. Um, <laughs> my, um, so my previous role before I came back into a parish was um, – I was involved in the seminary formation of our students. So I'm a a priest with a group called the Missionaries of God's Love, 
we began it began in Australia in the eighties, and so I'd done. I was doing. Seven, I did seven years of of the training of our guys for for form, uh, for priestly ministry, and. While I was there doing that, one of the things is when you're doing a job that nobody else wants to do, you get a bit of leeway about what you want to do next or you know, um, you, that's more of a conversation than maybe it might otherwise be. Um, and part of that was I knew that I'd been, I'd, I'd acquired some skills through the, through that process. Um, and uh, underneath that was just a passion. Like my, my overriding passion is to see the church renewed, um, to see the church be more fully who Jesus wants her to be. And, I could see the need. I could see the gap. Um, you know, I often, I often said, um, there's this massive need in the church here in Australia and I'm, I'm sure in other parts of the world. There's a massive need for people to be able to be formed in evangelization, that they would understand mm. what evangelization is first and foremost and then how to do it effectively. Um, a massive need for that and a massive need for leaders. Like, you know, priests cannot, um, bring about this renewal on their own. They need to be surrounded by people who can lead. Mm-hmm. And so I could see this huge need. I wasn't 100% sure there'd be the demand, if I can make right. that distinction, right? Massive yes. need. I wasn't sure how many. But fortunately, and thanks be to God, we've seen lots of people taking up the program. But I, I found myself thinking, okay, I, th- I think there's – and I just felt that little bit of a stirring and nudging. I think um, I think too, like on the, the APEST, I'm, I'm sure you've talked about that on the podcast. I have, um, yeah. So that – that sort of leadership kind of uh, metric. I'm a um, like I'm, I've got an apostolic dimension, so I'm a bit of an entrepreneur, I guess, in the faith kind of dimension. So I yes. the thought of starting something new um, was a little bit scary, but it wasn't as scary as it might have been. And I was really happy to kind of step out and give that a go. Um, and I because I just I just felt that it was it, it was too big a need, and I I wanted to like originally when I was leaving uh, seminary formation, I thought I might be full time doing that role. And then it became clear that I was, um, from the terms of the needs of our community, I'd have to step into parish as well. And that turned out to be just one of those Holy Spirit moments because um, I think it's been really important that when people look at the Arete Centre, they're able to look at the parish that I serve in, uh, or the parishes I serve in, and particularly St. Declan's at Penshurst, and be able to go, well, this is actually a little bit of what it looks like. There's actually, you can see, you can see it happening. Yeah. yeah, not that St. Declan's has arrived. We're a work in progress, of course, but they could see it, um, the parish moving forward on that journey of renewal. So there was a credibility piece there. And then also, on the other hand, all of the thoughts, you know, I was able to bring some of my, uh, we talked about my uh, PhD research into the RCIA or OCIA when we last chatted, and I could bring that into actual practical ministry. And so, Kind of the parish becomes my sandbox to kind of have a go with things and try and experiment and do something. Yeah. In, a, in other words, ap- applying the kind of the theological foundation and the practical foundation that I'd, I'd sort of started to explore. So the two things have actually gone together really well, I would say. Mm. What, how long were you in the parish when you and I met? Any idea? I just want to give my own, myself some. Perspective. Yeah, I think um, I think it was probably I think pretty sure it was my first year in the parish, Ron. I wow, think it was. Isn't that um, neat? Yeah, I'm pretty. It might have been early in my second year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so early days. And at that stage, Arete, we I certainly had plans for it, but we um 2019 was our soft launch. We kind of just ran a few talks and that kind of thing, and then our first cohort, uh, the first initial group that went through the program itself was 2020. Hmm. Wow, that is unbelievable. No, it doesn't always translate like. 
academic knowledge and theories and ideas don't always translate to practical application. But I know that you just hosted a Divine Renovation Conference in Australia uh, recently. And I know people that were there and they were so inspired by your staff and your the people at your parish and just a lived model and example of a church on fire with the love of Jesus and evangelizing and, and the likes. Like you say, it's work in progress, aren't we all? But boy, that what your heart longed for and what you've learned and taught, you're able to then apply yourself. And that doesn't always equate. <laughs> so congratulations. And that really makes Thanks. my day. And I bet you that makes the the learnings that you're providing through your arete course even more practical as well, does it? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I, th I think it's really important that um, that the program has a bias towards action. Um, so I think, yeah, we, we have a deep, rich intellectual tradition and Arete taps into that in, a re in really important ways. It gets right into mm -hmm. some great theology, I think, around our theology of mission, one of our Amen. best kept secrets, you know. Um, sadly, one of our best kept secrets, right? <laughs> it should be, you know, some, it should be common knowledge for every, every Catholic. But... Um, but, you know, one of the things about formation often in the church, both for, for seminarians or for, you know, for priests and also for lay people is it's, it's just intellectual. And right. so, you know, we, we sometimes say, you know, seminary prepares you, I think at the moment to become a, uh, becomes the, prepares the really smart students to become seminary lecturers. And, but of course they've been trained to be priests. And mm -hmm. then there's often when it comes to lay formation, it's often, you know, it's, it's, cate it's catechesis or some theological reflection on the, it sort of mirrors what's happening in the, in seminaries in terms of intellectual stuff, but it isn't necessarily geared towards action. And so mm -hmm. what I wanted to do with Arete was to be able to say, we, you need to be skilled up. There are, there are things, there are, there are ways to evangelize well and there are ways to evangelize badly. And there are, um, there are leadership skills that you can learn. Um, you know, I wanted to demystify leadership a bit as, it's not kind of, um, I think there's a charism of leadership, a particular gift, but I think there are also a whole set of skills that you can learn. Yes. And I wanted, I wanted people to come out going, I actually feel equipped. I don't just feel like I've got some head knowledge, but I've actually got some mm -hmm. really practical, um, sk skills and tools that I've been experimenting with over the nine months in order to be able to, um, really practically be effective in, um, in my parish context or whatever other context I'm, I'm serving in. So I, I think that's really important. And the, the, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the ways of framing the, the Rete program is it's an exercise in what we might call, um, practical theology or sometimes it's called pastoral theology, which, which means it starts in action. So people come because they're, they're, they're reflecting upon their experience, whether that's an experience of lack, wanting something more for their church, for their mm -hmm. parish. Um, but it's, or they're having a go at things. They're not sure how it's going starts there and then we draw upon the rich wisdom of the church both spiritually and theologically um and then and then also perhaps drawing on some of the other sciences so like i you know sort of if you like the best of leadership and management kind of theory and then that orients people back then towards action and that prov that provides a loop so there it's it's always oriented towards practical activity and action. And so er everything we do in terms of assessment, for example, in the program is really about people reflecting upon their own personal experience and how they're applying what they're learning to what they're doing in ministry, to what they're, how they're, how they're engaging and being involved in the, 
in the life of their parish or in the ministry that they're part of. You were saying earlier too that you, you kind of have taken um, a model, uh, a fourfold model to to kind of apply. Can you tell, you, tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So one of the things that I I uh, started to understand a whole lot more when I was involved in seminary formation. I'd come across it when I was a seminarian myself as well, but um, comes comes from John Paul II and from uh, I will give you shepherds, Pastorius Darbo Vobis, which was his work on priestly formation. And in there, uh, Pope St. John Paul talks about the, um, the, there being four dimensions to, to, um, to the formation of people for, for ordained ministry. Um, so at Arete, we call that the, we call those the four pillars of, of our approach because I found myself as I came to understand and thinking, this is not just for, uh, future priests. This is anybody who's involved in ministry. And so those, those four pillars are human development. Um, so it's so important that people have a, an understanding of themselves. There's, there's a self-knowledge piece here that's really crucial. It's understanding where, learning to understand where some of their weaknesses lie, um, where, where there are kind of vulnerable spots for them. There's a whole awareness there about understanding myself and how I tick because that's going to have a big impact in how I relate and act with people in ministry. Amen. Then, then the second pillar is spiritual formation. Um, and so we, um, you know, obviously that, that in one sense, that's fairly obvious, but it's so important, um, that we have spiritual formation. And so, you know, we've just finished the first intensive for 2024 for the new cohort of students. And so that first intensive really focuses upon what we call the spirituality of missionary leadership, mm-hmm. where people hear the charisma, they hear the gospel proclaimed, um, and so we, we do a, a, you know, we do a session on God's love. We do a session on the human predicament, what's gone, what's gone wrong in our world through sin, how Jesus is God's response to that. And particularly through his death and resurrection and then the sending of his spirit mm. uh, to bring us in, into forgiveness and through that into a new relationship with God where we're aware of in a personal way of his deep abiding love for us. Mm. And we say that's the foundation of everything else, right? So, yes. um, so they, the students hear that and they, it's not just that they hear some nice talks about that. They, um, you know, we pray in various ways into that mystery. Mm. And, uh, and in particular, people that, you know, that they prayed for, uh, an awareness, a personal knowledge of the outpouring of the love of God through the gift of the Spirit. Mm. So the second part, the second key element that we, where we enact that principle of spiritual formation is we do a second intensive, which is actually a silent retreat. And we mm. take people, we introduce people to Ignatian spirituality. So the spirituality of St. Ignatius of Loyola, one of the great spiritual traditions of the church. Um, mm. and we love that because it's an apostolic spirituality. It's an, it's a spirituality that's oriented towards mission. This is not kind of a, a kind of spirituality that's sitting in your, in your monastic cell praying for six hours a day. It's, it's, it's mm. your praying and that prayer is oriented towards mission. So, mm. so that's pillar number two. Pillar number three is intellectual formation. And so the way we've enacted that is around, um, we do a, a unit on the theological foundations of mission. So we unpack the church's rich teaching on mission, um, from, from the council, from Vatican II, right through to Pope Francis and just unpack the key elements around mission that emerge from that, including, um, the process of evangelization in the RCIA that we talked about in that previous podcast. And then the final element, the final pillar is, um, 
some uh, John Paul II originally called it pastoral formation. These days, often it's called missionary formation or pastoral missionary or pastoral apostolic formation. But it, the idea here is it's the skills for ministry, uh, and, right. and in particular for us, the the skills around evangelization and for leadership. Mm-hmm. We really feel that like those four pillars, Ron, are really crucial because there's got they've got to be integrated. You know, like um, you know. Over 20 years of priest, priestly ministry, I've seen so many people incredibly talented, incredibly gifted. They've got the skills, but maybe without the human development kind of piece being in place mm-hmm. and they, they burn out or they flash out, you know, there's yeah. something goes wrong in a really significant kind of way. Um, and so the human development piece, we need to pay attention to that. And so we particularly look at things like the role of vulnerability and shame in leadership and being resilient in leadership and mm. uh, helping people to understand themselves. There's a healing dimension to what happens through the program as people are healed of previous wounds and hurts, which frees them up to minister better as well. Mm. So again, you could also have really great intellectual formation, but people come out the other end and they they don't know what to do. They've got great theories, but they can't actually make it happen in practice. Yeah. Um, but equally, too, there is a solid theological foundation. So it's not just like, this is a great idea, let's see if it works, but it's actually grounded in the rich <laughs> theological tradition and wisdom of the church as well. That's so, so that's the, yeah. they're, they're the, they're the four pillars that underpin what we try and do in the program. Yeah. It's so beautiful. It just makes so much sense and it really brings people because it's true. You need a theology for what you're going to do because the devil's going to attack you. And if you don't have an answer, <laughs> he'll tear you yeah. apart. <laughs> and, and I think, I think the part of it too is that what I would say is everybody who's involved in ministry has an operative theology. They're actually working out of some image of God, some understanding of who Jesus is, of what the church is, and that will shape their practice. You know, in, in a certain sense, there's nothing as practical as good theology, but yeah. it's got to, um, but it, so it's got to be, A, it's got to be good theology. Um, and so to reflect and encourage people to understand that better. Um, but also it's still got to end up in, you know, well, what, how does this translate into action? How do I put this into practice? Yeah. Yeah. Love it. It's so true. And that's what's so beautiful about being so engaged in the church and and surrendering yourself to Jesus, his church, and then going on mission. Because, boy, we're formed in the church. Like as a lay person growing up in the church, I don't have any academic theology. I remember speaking at a conference. Actually, it was in Brisbane. And uh, I took some questions and answers and kind of got piled on by a couple of retired priests, I think. And and it was very theological what they were coming at me for. And I just said, listen, I'm not a theologian. I'm here to talk about the practical implications of renewal. And, and you know, and, and so two different guys, yeah. I answered that. And I came back down and the bishop was so funny. He was so mad. And he said, those guys came with those questions. They were preloaded. They asked those same things every time. He said, don't, I loved what he said. It actually, it it made a huge impact on me. He said, Ron, don't you ever apologize for not having academic theology again, Mm. because you have plenty of theology because you've been born and raised in the Roman Catholic church and you can't spend your whole life in the church and not be formed in theology. I don't Mm. ever want to hear you apologize again. And Mm. boy, that. Uh, that never left me. I, I, mm. I just thought it's a good point. Mm. Yeah. You know, like yeah, yeah. we're literally being taught by theologians at churches my whole life. Yeah, <laughs> you, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And so, and the other thing that mm. that reminds me of, Ron, and I think this is really important, and again, it's something that we really communicate with the students in the program because I think mm. sometimes people feel like 
they've got to be fully formed before they can do either of these things, before they can evangelize or before they can step out in leadership. They've, they've got to be fully formed and they have to have done, you know, 10 courses and they have to have a theology degree or something along those sorts of lines. Mm. And I always take them back to, um, to Matthew, it's Matthew chapter 10 and it's the sending of the 70. Um, mm-hmm. out on out of mission so jesus already sent the 12 out on mission and they've come back now he's sending the 70 so you can say well the 12 obviously you know they, they the apostles you know they end up you know the success of the apostles of the bishops this is these are key you know leaders you know um but then the 70 are you know they're, they're the they're the extras right they're the others and uh they're ordinary folk, I think, in lots of ways, right? And the 12 obviously were too, but the 70, you can't kind of go, oh, this is just some kind of reference to a day ministry. The 70 gets sent and, mm. uh, and to do the things that Jesus did. Um, and the thing that I like to point out about this is it's chapter 10 of Matthew's gospel. Okay. There are another 18 chapters to go. These guys have not seen Jesus crucified yet. They've got a very faulty understanding of who he is. They mm-hmm. haven't experienced his risen presence to them. They don't know his promise that he's going to be with them until the end of time. They've just in obedience stepped out and done what they what he was asked, what they asked him to do. And they come back saying, you know, the demons fled in and in your in when we invoked your name and people were healed and the kingdom of God was preached. And so what I, I would say there is you um yeah, and this is a crucial part of, of the program, is you the, the school, there's, you know, the school of formation, if you like, is, is much more in practice than it necessarily is in sitting in a classroom. Now, there's a dimension for learning, not mm-hmm. denigrating or dismissing that for a second, but you learn a lot by being in action, but by reflecting upon that action, you know, unreflected action, you keep perpetuating mm-hmm. the kind of issues and mistakes. You know, they go back to Jesus, they stay with him, they learn more from him. And they'll ultimately be commissioned at the end to go make disciples of all nations at the end of Matthew's gospel. But they, they don't, um, they don't start with that. They don't start fully ready. They haven't done a full, you know, they haven't done a full program with him. They've, they're learning by doing and reflecting upon that. And I think good ministerial practice does exactly the same thing. Beautiful. That makes sense. That's a beautiful way of framing it up for people and uh and empowering them to give it a chance to walk with christ to walk in faith and to answer the call to do what god's calling them to do i love that what's your hope for the priests and um maybe a diocesan staff who end up hiring people who are alumni from this course what is your hope for them that what they experience well i think there's something that you touched on there that's really important is that i think his, his two ways hires often happen, whether it's in, in parishes or in dioceses. It's, it's that, um, sometimes it's people who've come through and done a theology degree and they, they aren't necessarily really equipped for ministry. Or the hire works is that you find somebody in business who's, you know, they've had a big background in business or non-for-profit or in Australian context and maybe in other contexts, um, a background in Catholic education, which has equipped them for a particular kind of thing. And then you're asking them to make an act of translation either out of the commercial mm-hmm. sector or out of education into a, a parish or diocesan context. And some people are able to make that act of translation more readily or easily than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but often I think we found that both of those things can come unstuck in different ways or, or be not be as fruitful as they might be. If you listen to 
those two groups of people. If they're, you know, sometimes the the graduate of the theology degree, they'll, they'll, they'll in their honest moments they'll say to you, "Well, I've got, I understand, you know, the two natures of Christ, and I can tell you about a Christological controversy, or give you a, a better metaphor for the Trinity than St. Patrick or St. Thomas Aquinas." But um, I'm not sure how to actually engage with this particular group of parishioners who, uh, you know, seem uninterested in the the, the need for for renewal or for the or for for a greater spiritual relationship with the Lord or something like that. Right. Equally, when sometimes when people make the act of translation over from other fields, um, yeah, educationalists are often likely to see it largely in educational kind of terms, and mm-hmm. that isn't necessarily going to translate so well. Or you have people who are in um, uh, who come from business and that kind of thing, and they 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 need to be able to you know they struggle to see that the church is a unique like it. In one sense, the church is an organization and you can learn from organizational theory about the church. Of course, the church is more than that. She's the bride of Christ, mm-hmm. the body of Christ. And so there's, it doesn't all translate over perfectly. So my hope is, um, that what you actually have is people who are equipped for what's really needed at the moment. Mm-hmm. So I, I think part of, like I mentioned, the need that I, that I saw and, and continue to see is that, yeah. um, yeah, that, if we're going to see the renewal of our church, we need people who actually are sold out on the on the Lord, that they love Jesus with all their mind and heart, that they're passionate for him and they love his church and they want to see people come to know Jesus. They want yeah. to see people encounter him. Like there is going to be no renewal unless that's right at the very heart of what we're trying to do. So people can be involved, get involved in various aspects of the church's life and ministry without that being the burning centre of what they're about. And so I want graduates of the Arete program to come out going, I'm in love with Jesus in a way that I've never been in love with him before. Like I know him deeply and personally and I, I can't help but share this. And also I know how to. I know, I know how to do it without um, freaking somebody out, but at the same time I know how to do it that actually invites them and, and, and gently challenges them into a relationship, to a response of faith. Because I know what the, I know how to share the charisma with them and I know how to set up, uh, organize, uh, programs within an organization that will help people come to know the Lord. So yes. I want that it's meeting a need that I just don't think was, it was being fulfilled sufficiently. Um, mm. where, where you have people who maybe have that heart, but they don't know how to go about it. Or you have people sometimes who think that ministry, that, that renewal would consist in other things, whereas actually at the heart of it, it has to be evangelization. And then the second piece of that is, you know, we often talk priests as priests. We often talk in the parish in your space. We often talk about how little formation we got in leadership and we're sure. ordained to lead, right? Um, well, well, lay people, of course, the, the model of ministry for lay people, well, there wasn't a model of ministry that it was, you know, you pray, pay and obey, right? Like you just yeah. and do whatever father says. <laughs> Pat father on the back or he runs himself ragged. Yeah. Yep. And, and, or, or fa- oh, and, and if father says, would you do this? You say, yes, father, of course I would. And yeah, you, you have people who are far more capable, you know, I don't know, just washing the altar linen or something. Not that that's unimportant. It needs to happen, but you know what I mean? Yes, I do. Um, and so. If we're gonna, if the renewal that we need is going to happen, or is, or for it to happen, what we need is leadership as well of like lay people taking up leadership. So this mm-hmm. is part of the piece of co-responsibility. You could call it authentic synodality if you like. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you actually a priest needs people who know how to lead around him, um, especially if he's not necessarily not every not every priest is a strong kind of visionary leader to have people around him who really can lead in that way. Um, but 
to exercise leadership together, to work together, um, that's, that's the rocket fuel of, of, um, of parish renewal in lots of ways. Like you, if you, if you've got people who can lead together and lay people who know, they know that they're not the priest. You know, they're not trying to, they're not trying to take over priestly ministry, but there's actually a whole scope for leadership for them as lay people that they can, they can help a parish soar, right? That there's mm-hmm. absolutely no way that we'd, we'd have had the, the, the fruit that we're seeing at St. Declan's without the leaders. It's, it's got, Increasingly has less and less to do with me. Like it's the, it's the leadership team and the, the lay leaders in ministry around, around us, you know. Yeah. Um, that thing's crucial. And, and just as a little footnote to that, one of the most exciting things we see with Arete is that when you have, um, yeah, we have a priest who's really passionate about this and he wants lay people around, lay leaders around him. And also when you then have, whether it's people from the same parish going through the, the program together or in successive years, what you find is that they've got a shared vision, a shared language, as well as that shared passion. Um, that, what that means is they can go forward together, right? They've, they've got it. They've, they've got the language, the vision, the skills to be able to move forward in the same direction. Uh, that's, you know, that's powerful. I think when that happens. All right. I think you've just created a problem because if I'm listening to this podcast anywhere in North America, I'm like, oh my gosh, do we ever need this in our parish or our diocese? What's your, what would you say to that person who feels that way? Like, is this some of the things you're doing? Is it online? Can people connect with you that way? Or is this local and, and can be possibly transplanted or like, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's so needed. Thanks, Ron. Yeah, look. So the um the way that we've set up the program is really intentional, and so what that consists of is that there are there are four units or courses that people do within the program, and mm-hmm. uh, two of those uh, happen through living intensives. So that spirituality piece happens through two living intensive, two retreat experiences, if you like, mm-hmm. and then also. Um, the practicum piece also happens through two intensives as well. And the right. thing about that that we've really insisted upon, this live-in piece, like I've been asked lots of times about just being purely online, yeah. but those live-in intensives, um, they're, they're experiences that are, um, we might call them liminal experiences. They're experiences that take you out of your ordinary experience and day-to-day life and ministry, and they give you the opportunity then for a much deeper encounter with the Lord. That's the first piece, right? So those living experiences just create the possibility of a much richer encounter because there's so many, there's opportunities for prayer. You're stepping just outside temporarily of your ordinary life in order to just be with the Lord in a particular way. The second part about, the second part about those living intensives though is that for the nine months of the program, um, we're forming like a short-term intentional community, really. So they, mm. they, you know, people, you know, part of the, this came through really strongly just off the intensive we've just finished where these people are going, it was like we just fell in love with each other. These people are amazing. Yeah. And I, I thought I was the only one who cared about this and there's another 50 people around me who love this as well, right? Yeah. And so that's actually the, that's the context for the real formation to happen. Mm. You know, one, of, one, of the, one of the sayings I like to say is, look, the Holy Spirit is the first formator of anybody in the church, but the community is the second formator. Before you get to seminary staff or teachers or yes. priests, you know, Holy Spirit first, and then secondly, it's it's actually the experience of being the church. It's being in community, 
And so the richness of that experience actually fuels not just the formation, but the transformation of people. So those four living intensities are really crucial. The other two courses though are online. So we do them, we do them live. Um, and the, the reason for that, the reason why I think live so helpful is it's just a better learning experience. Like online teaching is not easy. But it's yes. it's um it's it's much harder if you're watching a video than it is if you've got like if you're if you're live and you hear, you're listening in real time to somebody uh, you know talking about whatever the, the topic might be. Yeah. So so in a sense, it's a very Australian program. Part of why we set that up in the way that we did was to make it easier for people like they don't have to live. I'm in Sydney. They don't have to live in yes. Sydney to come and do the program. So we've had people. I think we're I think we're up to um. Uh, I think we must be. I think we must be up around the two, two hundred mark of people who've done the core the program since twenty twenty. Yes, and who would probably be two hundred who've just started. Like the two hundredth who's probably just started the program for this year. Yes, and in that time we've had people from Adelaide, uh, Melbourne, Brisbane. We've got someone right. from Rockhampton, which is the far north of Queensland. People coming a long way away, but they're only a flight away and. Excitingly, this year too. Well, last year we had one Kiwi, one New Zealander. This year we've got six. Um, so they're coming from, they're coming out, we call it coming over the ditch. So coming over the, the water between, uh, Australia and New Zealand. Um, but I, so I, I, I think, you know, we've tried to set it up in a way that, that reaches our region. Um, mm. and, and, uh, that's been really deliberate and intentional. What Beautiful. I'd say to people in other places is, um, Kind of why not? Like I, you know, a real kind of arch, a real guiding principle for me throughout my priestly ministry has been like, it's got everything to do with my sense of vocation was the experience of the Lord touching my life and me thinking, I'm a, I'm an ordinary Aussie kid. I'm not anybody special. If Jesus loves me like this, he wants everybody to know that he loves them like that too. And, and I, I think the reality is, is that, you know, in our, in ourselves, um, I'm not, you know, we're, we're not, I'm not sure how much we're actually capable of, but with the Holy Spirit and, and being prepared to step out in faith, all sorts of things are possible. Mm. So I'd say that, you know, in other parts of the world, um, you know, this, I do think this is not a, I do think there's some novelty here. There's some newness in the way that we're approaching it that maybe other places, you know, other, other efforts in formation maybe haven't seen quite the same kind of way. Um, but it can be done. Um, it's not, you know, um, uh, I'm, I'm not a genius. I'm not a, I'm not a, um, a, I'm not, you know, I'm not brilliant at these things. I just could see the need and then kind of yeah. retro engineered that to go, well, what, what kind of things do people need in place to be able to step out in missionary leadership? Love so that. I think that, I think that can be reproduced in other contexts. Yeah. I think you're right. And I hope today, I hope people are inspired. If you're listening to this today and you're going, holy smokes, this speaks to me. And yeah, maybe this is something we can do. I hope that you're taking pieces of what you've heard today and, and starting to reflect on your own needs. And if somebody wanted to reach out to talk to you or somebody on your team to, to ask more questions, to see about getting some just prayer support or maybe some practical questions, is there, could they reach out or tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, of course, of course they could. So if they want to, if you want to learn more about, uh, the work of the center and to, and to particularly to connect, just head to our website. So, aretecenter.org um, and you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook if you have that kind of thing. So you pop, pop Arete Center into there. Um, but, the, but in order to actually reach out and connect with us, um, jump on the website and there's a there's a contact form where you can just make contact with us and we'd, we'd love to be in touch and chat further. 
So helpful. Father Chris, thanks for making the time again today. I know last time we talked, I was really dying to get into that as well. So I'm glad we made an entire podcast just for this because I think it's so needed right around the world. I, I don't see any place this isn't going to be helpful. And I hope we've inspired some people today through your story. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks very much, Ron. It's been great to be with you and be short of my prayers for everybody who's on that with that journey of missionary renewal and particularly missionary leadership. It's um, I, I think that it, I think it tips the needle when you have people who are equipped for mission and they know how to lead in mission. I think it takes it takes our church forward in profound ways. Amen. And for all you lay people that are listening and feel that maybe God's calling you, I think you're right. So look for formation. Seek to to skill up uh, so that you can be a great team player and learn how to bring uh, others to Christ in a way that will glorify him. So thank you all for listening. I really, really appreciate uh, you following along. Please uh, hit the favorite button, uh, rate the podcast. All that helps. We appreciate you and everything you do to, to live your faith and to make, make Jesus famous. We love you. See you next time. I want to encourage you as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time, and remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.